Eddie and Joyce and I, this past weekend, this past few days, we were in San Diego. We were down there on Wednesday night, came back Friday night, and we were at the National Outreach Convention. And this is a convention designed for church leaders to help them uh, reach out into their community with the good news of Jesus. I go every year. It's one of the two conventions. I just say, I've got to be there. It's just a great time. They bring in these amazing bands. You hear very gifted speakers and learn new stuff. And so, anyhow, it was really a good time, and we've enjoyed it. I wish all of you could be there, actually. Well, on the way back, I had gone down with Eddie, so I left my car at his house. And on the way back, Joyce drove up, and we went to Eddie's house to pick up the car and left the driveway there. And I turned left, and I began to drive, and I told Joyce, well, Eddie told me a better way to go, so you just follow me. So... Uh, She's following me along. It's late at night, and pretty soon my cell phone rings, and I said, yes. And she said, "Um," and my wife is so gracious to me and tactful. She said, "Uh, do you want to be going south? And I said, I'm going north. And she said, there's a pause, you're going south. And I said, "I, I don't think so. And she said, well, how far away is that street? And I said, well, I thought I would have come to it by now. And so I said, maybe I am going south. So we did a turnaround, and I took off in the northerly direction since uh, we needed to go north. Then we finally came to the street, and uh, Lambert Street, and I look in my rearview mirror and wonder, why is Joyce in the wrong lane? Why isn't she following me? Because I'm going to take a left. Don't be laughing so much, Eddie. And uh, so I take my left, and I'm like, what is she doing? So guess what happens? The phone rings again. And she said, uh, do you really want to be going this direction? I said, yeah. And she said, no, no, honey, you're still turned around. You need to have taken a right. And so I said, being a humble man that I am, I said, you're you're right. I'm going to take a right. And so I turned around. And as you see, we did make it home uh, eventually. (laughs) I say that to say uh, I am rather directionally challenged. I don't know why it is, but I oftentimes just don't know where I am. And it doesn't really bother me. I have a good time. Uh, one of these days, in another 10 years, I'll buy a car with a navigational system and I'll be all right. You know, I'll just punch in the numbers and the lady will talk to me. I'm looking forward to that day. This morning, I really see our time together as hopefully giving you a sense of direction, kind of an opportunity to say, am I going in the right direction? Or do I may need to make some adjustments? Is, is the way I'm living my life really uh, the right way to be living? And so I see this sort of as a chance for that cell phone to ring and, you know, somebody to call you and say, hey, do you really mean, do you know you're supposed to go north and you're actually going south? So I, I hope it has that for you today. I'm looking forward to it. You know this statement. I think you would agree with me. Your life is not about or should not be about fame, fortune, or fun. Fame, fortune, and fun are really not to be the goals of our lives. Your life also is not about getting more than your neighbor or your parents or your children or your co-workers. Your life really is not to be about getting more. That's not the point of life. So what is life supposed to be about? There's a great movie, a classic, I, I guess I can say this in church, uh, called Alfie. I think they did a new version of it. And you've probably heard the song if you've never heard the movie. And in the song, the question is asked, it's a great question, what's it all about Alfie? And I'd really like to use that question today to ask you, what's it all about? What is your life all about? And let's keep that question as we come to Matthew chapter 25. We're in a section of Scripture where Jesus is telling stories. 
And uh, I'm just going to go through one of his stories today. And you may want to follow along. If you have one of these Bibles, there should be one in front of you. Uh, if you. If you can't find one, come on down front. There's extras up front. And uh, it's on page 28. We're in Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to look at the story that starts in verse 14. In fact, in this scripture, it says the parable of the talents. And there are several parables here. And a parable is just a story told by Jesus that may or may not be true. And it's to illustrate a point. Now, parables are a lot of fun. Sometimes they're easy to understand. Sometimes they're difficult to understand. What I want you to understand is that if you get one point out of the parable, that's good enough. Just figure out what's the main thing about here. What's the one point this morning? And so I want to walk through this parable. And I want to make a couple comments on the way. And in the back of our mind is going to be this question, what's it all about? Or another way to say, am I going in the right direction here? So let's begin, and the story really opens with uh, us hearing about a man who goes on a journey. And before he leaves, he gives his, in that day they called them slaves, his workers or slaves, he gives uh, one guy five talents. Now, you need to correct your thinking. We're not, when we talk about talents here, literally in the story, he was not talking about he gave them abilities. He's talking about he gave the man some money. The talent was originally a a monetary amount of silver. And whatever that was, he gets five of them. It's quite a bit of money. To another worker or servant, he gives two talents, and then to another one talent, and that's basically the start of the story. Now, as we begin this story, I want to say to you, my first comment is, it's not so much about ability as it is about responsibility. Would you read that line with me? It's not so much about ability as it is about responsibility. In verse uh, 14, as the story opens up here, it says, For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. Now, in the story, those of you who have hung out in church for a while, uh, here's a question. Who is the man? It says this story is like a man going on a journey. Who would the man be? She thinks it's God. How many of you think it's God? Jackie's kind of hesitant. What is this, Jackie? Vote strongly, folks. How many of you think it's God? Well, a few of us. Yeah, it's God, Jesus. You know, yeah, it's about uh, the divine power. It's about God. The story is about God. And so the scripture says, and I'll just read a condensed version of the first several verses. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents. Now, I'm skipping over some lines. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. Now, the man is God, or if you want to think of it as Jesus, that's okay. I'd I'd rather think of it as the Lord or, or God who owns all. And he gave to each one a talent or a responsibility or this measure of money. Now, I want to pause here because some of you are sitting here and you're going to kind of check out of the sermon pretty quickly because you think, I don't have any talents. I don't, I haven't been given anything. And I want to say to you today that the Bible is called, uh, in the Bible, we are called as the church, what? The body of Christ. And if you think about the church, if you think of us collectively as the body of Christ, if there are 200 people in this room who are members of the body of Christ, Uh, How many gifts have been given? What would be the minimum number? 200. 
Because in this famous passage in 1 Corinthians 12, and you don't need to turn there, but in that passage, Paul spends a whole chapter talking about the body of Christ and the members. You know, some of us are like an ear, some of us are like a nose. That doesn't mean we smell. Uh, Some of us are like eyes, some of us are mouths. And he says there are all kinds of parts. There's public parts, there's private parts, but the body needs all the parts to function correctly. Now, here's the point I want, I want you to understand. In 1 Corinthians 12:7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. How many people get some sort of manifestation of the Spirit? Each one. And so as I speak to you this morning, and in this parable, there's no question that everybody got at least one talent. And I want to encourage you in that today. You have some sort of talent given to you by the man. And I just want that to sink in your soul. You're not sitting there talentless. In fact, most of us, I'd say, maybe all of us have far more than one talent. But I want to emphasize that point. Now, I want to say one other thing. As Jesus told these stories, uh, there were lots of people listening. And if you go over to chapter 26... It says one of the groups that was listening was the Pharisees. That's a group of Jewish leaders. And as they listened to Jesus, uh, they also heard these stories, but they didn't hear them so much individually. You're sitting there thinking, well, I've got a talent, maybe I've got two. They thought, okay, we've been given a talent or a treasure. What had the Pharisees as a group been given by God? Because they were given something. They were given the Torah, the law. Now, not not this Bible, but they were giving the books of Moses, the Old Testament law. That was their gift. And they were responsible for the law and teaching the law to the people. Now, if you think along those corporate lines, the Pharisees had been given something by God. You and I as a church have also been given something by God. Don't we have a talent or a treasure? What is it God has given the church, this local body of Christ? What is our treasure? What is our talent? Uh, people? Okay, we're people. But, but what are we custodians of? I'm not asking it well, maybe. The message, the gospel of Jesus. We've been given the good news of Jesus Christ, right? And so keep that in mind as we go through this. Think both individually and corporately. What has God given to us as a local church? What is that treasure we have? And what are we doing with it? So I wanted to lift that up. It's not so much about ability as it is about responsibility. And our story opens this way. Now, I want to move on in the story because the man gives the talents out, and then he leaves town. And in the Scripture, it says he actually leaves for a long time. Seems like Jesus has been gone a long time, doesn't it? We talk about Jesus coming back, but he's not back yet. It's been 2,000 years now. So the man leaves town for a long time. And in the story, when he does come back, he meets with his workers and said, how did you do with the talent? And the guy with five comes forward and says, hey, I got five more. Here's ten. And he gives them back to the master. The guy with two says, hey, you gave me two. Here's two more. And he gives them back to the master. Now, as I read this, how many of you would like to double your money? That'd be a good deal, wouldn't it? We'd all like that. Man, you may be thinking, this is a stretch. I mean, if God expects me to double my money, especially in this economy, how am I going to do that? Well, relax, because scholars say in that day, what is told in the story here is actually quite easy. That investors could have easily also made five times the amount, or if they were really good, maybe ten times the amount. So the fact that they doubled their money was not surprising in this day. 
Nor was it surprising that a master might give his slaves or workers an investment and say, manage my investments. So in the context of the story, this is pretty common that this might happen and that somebody would come back and say, you gave me five, now I've got five more, there's ten. So they give them back to the master, which leads me to say, my next uh, comment is, bloom where you are planted and please God. Why do I say that? Well, let me read the scripture here. In verse 23, it says, His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. And by the way, the exact same language is given to the guy with five talents who returns with ten, and the guy with two who returns with four. Same words. It happens twice in the story. He says, the master says, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, I don't know about you, but I love for people to say, well done. We all do. And in fact, when Paul's writing near the end of his life and he says, you know, my race is about over. I'm going to go be with the Lord soon. I know that. And I'm looking forward to God saying to me, here's a crown of righteousness, Paul, that's been stored away for you. And God's going to give me that. And Paul was looking forward to that. It encouraged him on as an older man. And so we all like to hear, well done, and these two guys heard, well done. Uh, attaboy, good job, you, you did well. And that's why I encourage you, if you use your talent, the ability, whatever God gave you, if you use that, and if it blooms, you're going to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. And that's a strong motivator, at least to me, as I think about using my talents. Now, I wish we could just stop the story here. We're about halfway through it. And it's a great story so far, don't you agree? We look forward to that day when God will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Well, we need to go on, and so I'm going to read verse 24. And in verse 24, here's what we read. Now, remember the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy, they've given their talents back to the man. In verse 24 we read, Then the one who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. Wow, I have a question for you. Is fear blocking your faithfulness? Are you afraid? What are you afraid of? Is fear blocking your faithfulness to God in life? I was interested in that phrase, I was afraid, those three words. And so I looked them up, and you know when the first time, I was kind of surprised, the first time those are found in Scripture? Very early on, you remember the story in Genesis 3, God is walking through the garden, and he's searching for a couple, Adam and Eve, and he says, where are you? And when he finally finds the couple, Adam says, I was afraid, and so I hid because I was naked. Why was he afraid? Sin. Over and over, Scripture encourages us not to be afraid of God. When the angel showed up to Mary, he said, do not fear. And I want to ask you this morning, as you think about the direction of your life, as you think about the gifts, the talents, the treasures God's given you, are you afraid to use them? Are you afraid, my friend, of your giftedness? Um, A number of years ago, Nelson Mandela 
gave a very famous speech, the South African leader. And he quoted uh, a woman whose name is Marianne uh, Williamson. And I'd like to read what she wrote, because I think it addresses this issue of our fear and what might be blocking us from actually drilling down and tapping into the investment God's made in us. She said, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond our imagination. It is our light more than our darkness which scares us. We ask ourselves, who are we to be beautiful or brilliant or talented and fabulous? But honestly, who are you not to be so? You are a child of God. Small games do not work in this world. For those around us to feel peace, it is not example to make ourselves small. We were born to express the glory of God in us. It is not in some of us, it is in all of us. While we allow our light to shine, we unconsciously give permission for others to do the same. When we liberate ourselves from our own fears, simply our presence may also liberate others. That's powerful. So I ask you again this morning, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of your gifts blossoming forth to the glory of God? This man said, I was afraid and I took your talent and I hid it in the ground. That was a common practice in that day. And it's a common practice today in countries like Iraq and Sudan and Defar. If you have something valuable, you can't put it in the bank. Somebody's going to rip you off. So you bury it somewhere. And so that's what he did. And he presented it back to the master and said, here, have what is yours. Now, I want to call on you today to stop being afraid. If you are in Christ Jesus, why are you afraid? You know what the Bible says, Romans chapter 8? Therefore... There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. God doesn't condemn you. God embraces you. God is able to help you overcome your fears. In fact, in that passage, it wraps up by saying, if God is for you, and the implication is God is for you, then who can be against you? Why are you afraid? What is there to be afraid of if God is for you? This is the main point of the sermon today, and I I feel so inadequate to press it home to you. Why are we afraid of the giftedness God has given us that might blossom forth and do something amazing? In order to help me out, uh, I'd like for you to turn to someone next to you and just say to your neighbor, and then neighbor, you need to say it back to them, if God is for you, who can be against you? Would you just turn and help me? Thanks. Let's say it together. If God is for you, who can be against you? Amen. Joyce and I last September were back visiting my mother-in-law and sister-in-law, and uh, one evening we had a barbecue out in the backyard. We dug a pit and had a fire, and my sister-in-law invited some of her friends. And uh, there's a fellow we've met over the years. His name is Eric. He's married to Jennifer. They have no children. He works at Walmart. He's a manager. And he's, I'd guess, in his mid-30s. And... September evening, it went very late, and we were sitting by the fire. It was just a a great time of cooking and eating and having some fun with uh, folks that we know. 
And as we were there, our son was with us there as well, Nathan. He's a hairstylist. And he began to talk to Eric, and Eric said, I've always wanted to be a hairstylist. And we were all kind of shocked, like, what are you talking about? I thought you worked at Walmart. And he went on to talk about that. And then Nate began to kind of drill in on him and said, well, why don't you go do it? Well, I couldn't do it. You know, around here you can't make any money and on and on. So then he said to Nate, well, what did you make? What, you know, what are you making there in California? Well, I'll tell you something. If you're a male hairstylist in California, you make good money. Let's leave it at that. Amazingly good money. And so Nate told him, the guy, after he fell out of his chair, we propped him back up. And Nate really kind of seemed to hone in and say, what, why, you could do great, Eric. You've got the personality for it. You're, you're a wonderful guy to be around. You know how to be with people. You know, you would do well. Well, I just heard this last week. Guess what? Eric quit Walmart. He's going to school. Well, good for Eric. He's tapping into maybe something God has given him. And that's what I'm trying to say this morning. What are you afraid of? And by the way, there's another law at work here, and it's this. You either use it or you lose it. That's a law. Jesus talks about it here. Let me demonstrate that to you. You know, this is, this is a rather sad ending to this story. Uh, it's a rather dramatic ending, but I'm going to start reading in verse 26. This is the one-talent guy. He comes and he, he hands it back, and you can almost see the smile on his face, nervous smile, as he says, well, Lord, you gave me one talent. I'm glad I didn't blow it. Here it is. I still got it. Here, here's your one talent back. And he kind of offers it to God, or to the man. The man says to him, you wicked and lazy servant. Wow. Wicked. The guy hadn't, as far as we know, he wasn't immoral. He hadn't stolen anything. He wasn't living some life of crime. But the man says, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. Now, that's, we don't know whether that's true of the man or not. This servant said it was, but who knows. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was mine Mine own with interest. You understand that. You could have at least put it in the bank and gotten a few bucks interest off of it. And then he says, so take the talent from him. Now, this is the disturbing verse for a lot of us. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. Now, the guy with ten has many, how many now? He's now got eleven. For all, to all those who have more will be given. To all those who have, more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even they, even what they have will be taken away. Wow. As for this worthless slave, throw him out into utter darkness. Wow. So I say again to you, use it or lose it. There's a law at work here. You really understand this law. It's not particularly spiritual law. If you lay down in the bed for the next year and don't get out of bed, what's going to happen to you? It's called atrophy. Atrophy. You're not going to have any muscle left. You're not going to be able to get up because you're not going to have used your muscles. Therefore, you're going to lose your muscles. And so Jesus is applying this to our giftedness. Use it or lose it. Now, a moment ago at the outset of the sermon, I mentioned the Pharisees. What had the Pharisees been given? The Torah, the law. What did they do with it? Well, they made a big deal out of it, and they began to gather in their holy huddles, and they made all these rules and regulations, and the common Joe on the street, he never heard the law. He couldn't live up to the law. It was too tough. How could he match what the Pharisees were doing? Those big shots, righteous leaders, and all their great robes. 
And Jesus, in part, is talking about the Pharisees here because you know how I know that? They understood the message because in chapter 26 it says they had a secret meeting and began to plot how to kill Jesus because he was accusing them of having wasted the treasure. Wow. Kind of makes me wake up. Well, I'm glad I'm not a Pharisee, right? We can just close up the book and go home, right? What about this church? Us, me and you, the body of Christ here. What is our treasure? Jesus Christ, the gospel. Yeah, that's our treasure. We can just gather in here and feel all good and hold Jesus to ourselves and pray for one another and send everybody out happy every day, right? That's what church is about, right? Or is it? You see, we have a treasure. And we're not to hide our light under a bushel. That's another story by Jesus, right? What are we to do? We're we're to go into the highways and byways and what? Compel them to come in. Not some fuzzy little invitation or track. Hey, get... Get relationships built with people so that you have some power in their life to invite them to Christ. Why do we highlight the World Mission Offering? Because I can't go. Actually, I've been to Key Congo where Lynn Nelson is, but you and I can't go there on a regular basis, but we can support those who go. And so I encourage you to give to the World Mission Offering. That's just a small part of using the treasure. We talk about uh, becoming a bridge of love, reaching out in our community. Why? Because we've been given something. And someday, God's going to say to us, I'd like my talent back now. I gave you this many talents. What are you going to give back? So I started out by asking you, um, what's it all about? Is it all about fun and fame and fortune? Is it all about getting more than your sister or your brother or your neighbor or your co-worker? What is it all about? And I think this parable helps us understand what it's all about. Someday you're going to meet the man. And when we meet the man, he's going to say, Hey, I've been gone a long time, gave you some talents. What did you do with them? And so this morning I do feel a heavy pressure, a burden to remind you that someday you're going to meet the man. Are you prepared for that day? Do you need to go in the backyard and start digging? (laughs) And get that thing up and dust it off and say, wow, I think, uh, I think there's something here. <laughs> I've, I've still got some time to use it. And I'm going to. See, I don't wonder, but what if this guy had shown up and said, you know, Lord, you gave me a talent. I don't have it at all, but I'll tell you how I lost it. And he t- makes, you know, some great adventure for God. I think God would say, that's okay. Come on in. You tried. I know you went out to that uh, wild place and you lost your life, but that's okay. You were trying. So this morning, as as we wrap this up, uh, my question is, what's buried in the ground? What's buried in your backyard? What's buried in your life? And I want to encourage you that as you use your gifts, we want someday to hear God say to us what? Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my kingdom. I'd like you to bow your head right now, and I'm going to pray in just a minute, but this is a moment for you to think, is there something in my life that's buried that really could be a blessing if it was brought forth? Are you afraid, therefore you don't venture out and live for God? Uh, Is there something God's been asking you to do, nudging to you to do, and you're saying, you know, Lord, I I just, I don't have time, I don't want to, I can't. (laughs) 
Veterans Day, it reminds me of what I tell my kids all the time growing up. American ends with I can. <laughs> a little patriotic message. But as your head is bowed there, I'm going to pray. If you'd like to pray, if you'd like me to pray for you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And by raising your hand, you just say, Steve, I, there are some things I'm afraid of, but I want to overcome that fear and live for God. Or maybe by raising your hand, you say, Steve, I know I've got some talents I'm not using. I determine now to, to explore them and use them for God. Just raise your hand quietly while everyone's head's bowed, my hand's up. Let's pray. Lord, we have our hands raised up as a testimony that we want to live in such a way that when the man comes, when we see you, we'll hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to have the joy of obedience in our lives. So, God, we ask for your forgiveness for those things we've buried in the ground. We're digging them up. We're going to risk. We're going to use them for you, dear Jesus. And we pray in this moment that you'd help us to do that. Thank you for your love. Thank you for second chances. Thank you for the power of your spirit that can help us become a bridge of love to someone. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. We're going to receive the offering now as we wrap up this Sunday in our worship together. Um, Joyce and I have been talking about the World Mission Offering and praying what we're going to give. And there's these little envelopes in front of you. I encourage you to give. I'll ask the gentleman to come on forward if you would. I'll encourage you to uh, give the World Mission Offering. Also, the communication card. I always lose my card. Here it is. Um, If you want to fill this out, if you're one of our guests, we're glad you're here. And we just ask you to fill this out. That's all we're asking from you for the offering plate. Gentlemen, come forward. Uh, We'll ask you to place this in the offering plate. And um, we'll be able to send you a thank you letter, our newsletter, and that kind of thing. So the Lord bless you as you give. And the Lord help you to uh, use your talents to his glory.